everyone! Welcome to what was supposed to be the end of our first season, but was procrastinated on for so long it has become the premiere of our second season instead. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Alice. Today we will be taking a moment to review all of the creation stories that we looked at in season one, and discuss similarities, differences, etc., and what we may be able to draw from it. Since I am the main purveyor of mythology on this fine podcast, For now. I will be running this discussion. That won't stop me from giving my own thoughts. I'd hope so, otherwise it will be just me talking. Yeah, well, that's fair. That's, so That's every other episode we do. So, quick disclaimer. Neither of us are experts in anthropology or anything like that, and... This episode doesn't have too much research specifically for it, so what we say here are mainly our theories or opinions that come from a relatively educated position that comes from having heard and looked into so many creation stories thus far. So if you're really interested, I do recommend you look into sources made by people with PhDs and stuff. And even they disagree. <laughs> yeah. Even so, we are going to be doing our best to be respectful, as usual. In this line, I'd like to reiterate that we're calling them stories, since I need to refer to them in some way, but do keep in mind that the word story can also apply to nonfiction events that are retold. If you find something we did wrong, please let us know, and we will do our best to correct it. And on an audio level, apologies ahead of time, as there is a storm rolling in, but we are proceeding nonetheless, so if you hear any thunder in the background, that would be why. Without further ado, let's begin. Let's start with the four elements that we're looking at. Why do we think they're so common? Well, out of the stories that we've covered, so far at least, only the Middle Eastern and Western European stories actually definitively check all of the boxes of our four elements. There are obviously a few exceptions, like Wicca, and perhaps the element of succession for Genesis, largely because said quote-unquote succession happens right after the main creation story, but on the whole, it is a very noticeable pattern. Yes, to be fair, it's not that it's common, rather the elements that I was introduced to in my mythology class. Totally fair. On that note, it might be a scholar's bias given the fact that most of this research was likely compiled by people of European descent and influence who grew up with and knew the cultures of places influenced largely by Middle Eastern and European originating religions. Oh, certainly. My mythology class was very much focused on Greek mythology. Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, we only really talked about stories from Babylon and Christianity officially outside of the ones from ancient Greece. We were allowed to look into some of our own for projects, but, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But I think if you do look at places nearby and places that were colonized by the areas there, you'll find a lot of similar themes, just because of crossover culture and such. Personally, I wonder if and how this could change once we take a look at the Asian creation stories, and whether there might be other core elements that one can judge a creation story by, such as, say, moderate chaos, duality, etc. Totally not foreboding for things that we're going to be talking about later. Oh yeah, certainly. I honestly have two reasons for keeping at it, and the first is that it is a basis to be able to compare and contrast stories with a sort of template. So I can also include other things I've noticed, but it's easy to have a basis basis on things you already know and can remember to think about. Otherwise, I will forget Quite fair. a lot of things. 
The other reason is that I did want to make a point that the stories are very wildly different all over the world. Some scholars might try and pigeonhole human nature into certain ideas they've noticed, which is very much a human desire to find patterns, but these specific patterns seem to be largely biased towards Eurocentric views. And it's definitely a great framework to go off of, especially since the categories are at least partially present in most of the non-Middle Eastern and European stories, but I did think it was interesting to note. Yeah, and to be fair, I also want to look into some of the trends that I've seen. So we, too, will be falling into the trap of finding patterns and ideas. No, who would have thought? <laughs> what a mystery. Who could have guessed? Back to the four elements, though. Let's look at each and try to discuss what we've noticed about their appearances in all of the stories we've looked at thus far. And if we feel like they do come a lot, why would it be a common theme to come up? The first is separation. In my opinion, humans just see something and are like, ah, I'm gonna categorize that so good. I'm eventually going to be making an episode about why humans love to categorize things. I, I promise it will come out eventually. <laughs> But trust me, for now, just know that it's an innate part of our being. I mean, we have literally been categorizing and drawing connections between creation stories all year. It's true. I also want to note that this is the element that appears in literally every creation story that we've covered to at least some degree. So I mean, yeah, some of the others might be Eurocentric, but this one, absolutely universal. <laughs> Yeehaw. The second is succession. In the stories that include secession of power, the majority are polytheistic and generally don't want to have everything come from nothing. The creation of one to a few things from nothing is not as frustrating or hard to wrap one's head around than the often hundreds of gods and essentially all things that came from nothing. I'd imagine that some succession, like that of one god aging out of their role, is also modeled after the civilizations these religions came from, like how monarchs and rulers either pass down their power to their offspring, or someone even stronger usurped the throne. Or sometimes it was the offspring doing the usurping in the first place. Yeah, though several examples of the offspring doing the overthrowing was the youngest sibling, which is usually the one that is almost assured to not inherit the throne. That is a definitely interesting reversal of roles. It is, and it happened in multiple of the stories. Let's look at Ascent of Male over Female. I think that this is somewhat a way that many cultures use to support their beliefs that women were quote-unquote lesser. Religion has often been used as a way to communicate certain values and rules that the religious leaders want people to follow, and is also filled with inherent cultural biases. Yeah. So I absolutely believe that gender roles and religions were based off of societal norms of the culture, and I mean we do see that later, and I think we do talk about this later, that in some of the less overtly patriarchal societies, there tends to be less of a presence of ascent of male over female, though, again, completely depends. Finally, let's look at dragon slaying. This is something that is especially common in Western European and Middle Eastern stories we looked at. I don't have any theories as to why this would be, to be honest. But having a physical beast to be defeated is something that is fairly common in stories in general, especially hero stories, I know. Sort of showing triumph and causing you to support the character or characters that are being focused on. It's also interesting to note that out of the four main elements, dragon slaying actually appears the least in the stories we've covered, especially in the native North and South American myths. 
It's only strongly present in the Middle Eastern and Western European creation stories, but even then it's not inherently guaranteed to happen. On the topic of elements, the Native American stories, those from the North, as well as Central and South America, mostly don't have the elements outside of separation. What sort of cultural differences do we think could account for the differences? On the first topic of succession, going in order again, <laughs> I noticed that a lot of the creation stories where succession wasn't mentioned were mostly from religions that weren't polytheistic, i.e. Genesis, and from creation stories that didn't mention any gods in the first place. Since succession is usually of power or comes from some world-altering events that generally require godlike powers, it would make sense that without the presence of said gods or spirits, succession is just much less likely to happen. Also, in Judaism and Christianity at least, succession of power actually does happen later on in the book of Genesis, it's just not part of the very beginning where we mostly covered. The lack of succession is mostly in Native North American creation stories, and most of these cultures did worship multiple gods or spirits, but they were only referenced in the Navajo and Arapaho creation stories. These are the only two North American creation stories we covered that I think have a really strong case for succession. I would like to say, though, the succession in the Arapaho story wasn't much in the way of passing along power, but rather a succession of animals doing things one by one, or trying something one by one. So I'm honestly not completely sure that it would count. Totally fair. At least in what we are looking for in succession. Succession of failures, not succession of power. Also, I think that there is something to be said about the fact that in polytheism, usually the former power has to be overthrown in some way, since the powers that created things are generally considered to be immortal, or at the very least unaging. So there's also a possibility some element of conquest is also in the usual succession of power. I would say that the main outlier to this is the Slavic creation story, which involves two deities but does not show succession. However, this story is incredibly short, seems to be pretty influenced by Christianity, and was pretty hard to find in the first place. It was. So I feel like what we found might have been just a bit altered from the <laughs> original. In a way to omit the succession of creations or power, or some other piece is missing from the equation. The events also closely mirror the Lithuanian creation story, which does show succession. So I believe that we are likely missing some important details, though what those are, who knows, not me. <laughs> I agree that this was likely impacted by the Christian takeover of these areas, because they did have a host of gods in the Slavic region, but this story only mentioned two of them, barely giving them special attributes, and honestly more casting them into the roles of God and the devil. On to Ascension. This is likely impacted by the matriarchal society some of these Native Americans followed, though this obviously differs from tribe to tribe. Additionally, for some of the Native cultures that were somewhat patriarchal, or at least patrilineal, like the Aztec and Incan societies, women still tended to have roles that were considered equally important to men's, like being in charge of shrines and religious aspects, likely having an impact on how stories were passed down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As an aside, patrilineal just means that someone's social status was based on their father and not their mother. So if your father was the king, that would be your status in a patrilineal society, but if your mother was the queen in a patrilineal society and your father was no one, it sucks to lose out on that royal status. <laughs> <laughs> this also meant more value was placed on having male descendants to continue the family legacy, but the importance of male heirs varied by culture. 
Patrilineal can also be used generally, especially in this time, with last names. You take your father's last name generally, and it's sort of a holdover from taking your father's status. Well, given that last names back in the day were usually some sort of sign of status, exactly. I can't believe you had me say status. I'm being infected. How dare you? You're welcome. All this to say that even if some of the native tribes we covered weren't matriarchal, they tended to have more equal views on men and women's roles in society. Not always, but in a lot of the cases that we covered. Aside from that, of course, more patriarchal views could have also just been in other myths outside of the creation stories, and the ones that we looked at just didn't explicitly mention them. I also wonder if it has something to do with who specifically passes down the stories. Depending on who's telling a story, the story could be different because of the way the person views each character. So stories told by women in ancient Greece, for instance, would not have been as highly valued or as likely to have been preserved in writing. And thus, there's likely a whole perspective on certain gods or stories that is missing. Like Medusa being turned into a monster could be considered a punishment by men, but I wonder if women would have found the transformation a boon in some ways, as it protected Medusa from being raped by a man again. There's actually a super interesting story involving that. One of the guys who wrote down a lot of the Greek myths as we know them today had a grudge against the <laughs> government, and by extension the gods. So. He wrote the gods to be even more wrathful and the humans to be even more sympathetic. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, the gods were still involved in loads of super weird and wrathful stuff in general, and consent really wasn't a thing in most of these cases. <laughs> but this author took stories like Medusa and Arachne and turned the humans in these stories to be even more of a victim than in the original telling. Heck, it's believed that Medusa originally was just a full-fledged monster, no strings attached, no human origin, and that her tragic backstory and humanity came later on. Kind of like how these days we'll retell an old story, but give the previously unapologetic villain with no redemption whatsoever some new tragic and angsty backstory TM. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a cool evolution of culture to note. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I personally was just saying even just the concept of Medusa being turned by Athena, I would assume that men would consider it a tragedy that she is no longer beautiful, while women may consider it a gift to not have beauty and to have the power to protect oneself from the derision caused by that. Oh, definitely. I'm not sure if this is before or after, said author with the politically motivated retellings, but I think we have actually found evidence of Medusa's likeness being used to mark women's shelters and stuff like that. While a lot of men at the time found her to be either a tragedy or a full-out monster, many women took her as a symbol of protection, specifically from men. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Hmm. Finally, dragon slaying. I think that this is because they viewed animals more as equals and to be revered. They likely didn't want to use them as a villain, and I don't think that they had as many different kinds of creative beasts, like centaurs or whatever. And since there were no real gods, this likely led to obstacles being more inanimate. For instance, water. I might postulate something about the existence of a hero complex in some societies <laughs> where battle or overcoming a sin in some very physical or, you know, battle-like way, was more prominently celebrated or viewed as a vital part of life, compared to perhaps other values and emphases in, say, some of the native North and South American cultures we looked at. 
My mind mostly goes to Norse mythology on this, where one must literally die in battle and be chosen by the Valkyries to even get into Valhalla in the first place. Certainly. Not to say Native American societies didn't have war or battle, but from my understanding, battle and war were far less glorified in their cultures, if that does make sense. Not all, but likely in quite a few, especially in some of the ones that we covered. Yes. It could also be that dragon slang did exist in the Native American creation stories, but it wasn't recorded properly. Or perhaps dragon slang was solely relegated to non-creation myths, which I would find far more likely. Even though there wasn't a particular dragon to slay, some of these creation stories still had loads of conflict. Prior races that didn't worship the gods properly were nerfed for it, flinging a rabbit at a god to turn them into the moon. There was loads of trauma, just not one specific dragon to overcome. Yeah, and I would like to say with the dragon, I feel like there might be more glory in hunting in the more Western European areas, whereas in the Native Americas, it seems like they have a bit more respect for the animals that they hunt and their general surroundings. Given the cultures that we looked at anyway, and I think especially potentially more true in Native North America for sure, probably in Native South America as well, although those had loads of god drama in the first place. <laughs> well, I drama is interpersonal. So. It's not necessarily against quote-unquote monsters or animals or beasts. Usually they were focused more on cycles, like, say, the cycles of the sun and godly sacrifices to become said sun, mm -hmm. or something of the sort as opposed to one definitive dragon that you have to slay every single time before the sun comes up. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Ra. <laughs> <laughs> Back to what we were originally talking about. <laughs> Why is there such a difference? I personally think that perhaps the geographic isolation likely did play a significant part in this. Afro-Eurasia was able to have some amount of contact via trade routes over land and sea, whereas the Americas were very isolated from that for several thousand years. Though the stories that we've looked at are far from the whole spread, so I think that the geographical aspect is one that we would have to revisit at the very end of this series. I think that's where we will leave off for this moment on this discussion, but rest assured, there is more over-analysis to come. Oh, so much more. We will catch you next week for part two of three. This was supposed to be one part. That it did was. not happen. Here we are now. So, we'll catch you next week for part two, where we talk more about the trends in monotheism and polytheism, a few differences between Eurasian and Native American gods and spirits, and what's up with so many stories starting out with watery chaos. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.